0: We're reading this great, great story, the birth of Jesus foretold to Mary and and, uh, this whole interaction with Elizabeth, but we're going to read from verse 26 forward. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you who are highly favored. "'The Lord is with you.' "'Mary was greatly troubled at his words "'and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. "'But the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary. "'You have found favor with God. "'You will conceive and give birth to a son, "'and you are to call him Jesus. "'He will be great "'and will be called the Son of the Most High. "'The Lord God will give him the throne "'of his father David.' for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me as to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. (laughs) Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Just a couple more verses. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Actually, I need that. Uh, among the accounts of the, Christ, the coming of the Christ child, I think this one is just so poignant, so perfect. These two crucial women to the Christmas story, Mary and Elizabeth. And, and we have, not just here, but throughout the Christmas story, we have this theme of joy. In fact, this is the third week of Advent, typically the, the week of joy. That's why, what our theme has been this morning. And so this morning, let's look at this whole idea of joy sort of through the lens of Mary and Elizabeth. What is joy? The dictionary defines joy as, as a feeling of, of great pleasure or happiness. And, and joy is something that we, I think, often kind of link up or, or connect with this idea of happiness. They're often thought of as the same thing. But in Scripture, they're, they're, they're two very distinct ideas. Let's, let's think happy for a moment. Um, what uh, I, I grew up with a this, this song, by the way. The, the song in my day that was, that was big when it came to happy was Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't Worry, Be Happy Now. Do you want me to sing it? I'm not going to sing it. But i gotta, I got to tell you, folks, the song has been usurped in our day with a new happy song. Uh, and, and we'll we'll hear just a quick clip the truth, oh. uh, because I'm happy. if you know, you know what that song? happiness is to you because uh. I'm happy. if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hey, go. Uh, bring me down. Uh, bring me down. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Farrah Williams. Does he ever nail it with that? It's so great. I love it. Yes, that tune will be stuck in your head for the rest of the morning. Maybe. Let me ask you, uh, what makes you happy? For me, I'm happy when um, I finally plug in the Christmas tree lights and they all work. Yeah, I'm happy when that happens. I'm often unhappy when it comes to Christmas lights, but that's another story. I'm happy when I play games with my boys, whether it be Uh, basketball, or board games. I love that. It's it's no secret. I'm happy when I enjoy a good meal. Yeah, when I eat. Or when I go out for a meal with my wife, a date with my wife. I'm happy in those moments. I'm happy when the guys and girls are playing a game and the guys are winning. (laughs) She hisses. She hisses from the crowd. I love it. Lots of things make me happy. And if I'm honest, I'd say some of those things Uh, also bring me joy. Happiness and joy kind of get mingled up, but one of the ways that we tell the difference between the two is, is the New Testament authors never command us to be happy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, be happy, I say again, be happy, be happy, always be happy. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible. Happiness seems to be for us a response to something in our external environment, something that happens to us, something positive or good happens and the feeling is one of happiness. Joy is different. In in the New Testament, we find the authors to tell us to be joyful always. Apostle Paul in in Philippians commands us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We're commanded to, to, to be joyful. What does that tell us about joy? Well, joy is something that can be demanded of. It can be commanded of us. It can, it, it's something that we can call up because it's, it's independent of our outside circumstances. In other words, you can experience joy even when circumstances are less than ideal. It, it's something within. It's something that we call up. We're told that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces joy in us and it, and it bubbles up out into the rest of our lives. So while happiness might be something that, that brings us joy, joy is much deeper, as, as Lincoln pointed out. It's much deeper and, and more comprehensive than happiness. I, I actually think this is an important thing to talk about at Christmas. Why is that? <laughs> Christmas is uh, it's just one of those few seasons, that few weeks that we have that's just jammed with all kinds of expectations, aren't there? And you can't help it. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus, but in this time, we're, we're hoping it'll be met in, in, in whatever we're doing, you know, the, the singing or the, 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 the dinners or the parties, we're hoping that that will somehow scratch this itch. Um, it's supposed to be the hap- happiest time of the year. And for lots of people, it's not so happy. And In fact, one of my friends this week at Starbucks, he was telling me, he says, I hate Christmas. It's like an annual season of disappointment for me. You know, the, the, the family tensions, and then there's the, the, so all the relational pressures are going on. There's the financial stress in this particular season. He says, I just hate it. I hate it every year. And there are those that, that are, are going through this particular season that's supposed to be the season of joy, and, and yet you're, you've experienced loss and hurt. And 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 you're suffering in some some real way. You've heard bad news. <laughs> and there's pain. And doesn't Christmas just seem to amplify the hurt? Doesn't it seem to just make it more acute? They they they've, they've coined the term "blue Christmas" to describe some of this. And then I mean, we could just talk about how challenging it is to be joyful just in everyday life. I mean, the challenges of. Of having a job or going to school, I mean, I mean exams, and and you go to work and and your your boss can you know bites your head off, or 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 the customers complain to you for some reason, or the or the job is just overwhelming, right? And and you know what? For for most of us, we will spend a lot of our living, our everyday living, in what you might describe as less than ideal circumstances. Life won't be perfect, and so. It's important to remember it's not our outside circumstances that produce joy. Which means we've got to look for joy somewhere else. Joy has to come from a certain perspective and from certain practices. And to help us think about this, I want us to, to look at Mary for a few moments this morning. And we'll take a brief look at a passage as well from 1 Thessalonians where Paul gives some practical instruction on in how, I think, to create kind of in our lives a climate For joy, a condition for joy. First, Mary doesn't she have quite the amazing story? Um, She comes from Mary grew up in a tiny little town. Nazareth likely had a few dozen families living there. I I visited, had the had a memorable three days in Nazareth by myself a few years ago, wandering the, the city. And it's a city now; it's a bustling big city, and they've got a massive church all in honor of Mary. Not so in the first century. In the first century, Nazareth was a, you know, it was a podunk, little off-the-beaten-path little place, a, a, a blip on the map. And, and it was not probably a, 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 a prosperous town. In fact, we probably know that because Mary was from Nazareth, she probably was poor. She probably didn't have a, a lot of means. And, and so we know she grew up in this nowhere place, called Nazareth. We don't know how old she was, but we, we can guess that she was about 13 or 14 years old. She was Today, she would have been a middle schooler. Already engaged to be married, which they did in those days. Uh, life expectancy was shorter, so they didn't waste time. <laughs> they got on with that. And so she's engaged to, to be married. She's like 14 years old. And and it says that this angel, an angel Gabriel, shows up to her and says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary will later talk about how God exalted her from this, this lowly position, exalted her to a high place. And, and, and again, just reminds us that she probably came from poor means. And, and, and he comes to this young woman and he says, You found favor with God. God has something really really special in store for you. You are going to have a baby. And she's like, how can I have a baby? I'm not married yet. And, and he says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit is going to take, take care of that. And your baby, get this, Mary. He's going to be the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. You know, he's going to be uh, fulfilling the throne of David, all this kind of stuff he says. And he says, isn't that exciting, Mary? Aren't you thrilled? And, and I don't know about you, I'm just guessing that, that Mary is not so excited about this in this moment. Nowhere in the text does, does, Mary, does it tell us that Mary is excited about this. Nowhere in the passage do we find that Mary has joy. We're going to find joy later on in the Magnificat, uh, which was probably something she sang, a song of praise that she sang days later, maybe weeks later. But in this moment, I think she's feeling something else. I think she's feeling confusion and fear. Think about it. We have these, uh, all these peaceful images of Mary, right, in this particular moment, these ideas of what she would be like hearing this news. But think about it. Mary lived in a time where if you were to, to have a baby from someone not your husband, if you were found to be with child uh, out, of, out of marriage, you could be stoned to death and think, how does she explain this to the people in the village around her? I mean, simple folk. In Matthew's Gospel, she tells Joseph, her fiancé, uh, and and he doesn't believe her. He chooses to divorce her quietly so she wouldn't be put to death. But how do you explain this to someone? Not to mention, just the whole idea of having a baby. She's so young. <laughs> to hear that news. And and she, she would have known of, of women in her village who had died from childbirth. And the fact that she's going to bear the Messiah, how, how big a pill would that be to swallow? Yes, people have been dreaming of the Messiah's coming forever, but how terrifying would that news be for Mary? What did God expect of her? Can you imagine her prayers? Like, God, why me? I'm, I'm not ready. Why did you choose me? I'm not ready for this. Who am I? And so we have this idea that Mary is is filled with joy in this moment. I I think she's probably scared, and you're quaking in her boots. She's probably really confused. And I would say this can teach us something important about life with God. Sometimes what God calls us to go through in our lives does not immediately bring joy. You know, some, sometimes God asks us to do things that are, are hard and difficult, and, and joy is just simply not the way we answer God's call. I, I do think, though, that Mary's response to the angel is meant to be a model to the rest of us. Do you remember what she said to the angel? Here am I, the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me as you have said. She doesn't say, I'm so excited, I can't wait to tell my friends. she prays here i am i'm your servant and folks that's the kind of prayer that we're meant to grow into as christians here i am god i'm your servant put me where you want me to be Uh, your will be done in my life whatever it might be do with me what you will that was mary's prayer but it wasn't necessarily filled with joy uh, Mary, you know, we know she'd go on to be the most honored and revered woman of all time, but she did not know this then, <laughs> right? Then it was just confusing and terrifying, and, and, and God calls us, and when we follow, sometimes our immediate response isn't joy. Life doesn't offer us joy on, on a silver platter. Joy has to come from somewhere else. So let's look at four sources of joy. The first we find, actually, in in, in what comes next in the story. Mary leaves pretty quickly, it sounds like, and and we're told she hurries off to the hill country of Judea to visit her relative Elizabeth. And we're not told that she tells her mother or her father or, or Joseph immediately. Instead, she hurries off to Elizabeth because she's heard from the angel that Elizabeth is with child. Now, Elizabeth, we know a little bit about her. She was an older woman, She's passed childbearing years. We, she'd, she'd wanted to have a child for her whole life. And Mary had been, been told by Gabriel that even your cousin Elizabeth is now pregnant. And so Mary knew that at least Elizabeth was, was kind of sharing the same life, inform, life situation of having a child. And also Mary, Elizabeth had had Gabriel visit her. And, and Elizabeth was older. Maybe Elizabeth, of all people in her life... Maybe Elizabeth could help her understand what was going on. Maybe she could understand what she was going through. Before she would tell another soul, Mary would tell Elizabeth. And this is what happens. We see in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, don't you just love this? I love how Naomi portrayed this this morning. The baby leaped in her womb. You know, before John ever became a prophet in the wilderness, Do you know he became a prophet in his mother's womb, right? He was prophesying right there, I think. And it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Think how much those words would have meant to to Mary in that moment. Elizabeth just offers to Mary this this cup of uh, uh, cold water to a parched soul. She gives her affirmation and understanding and encouragement and hope and and perspective. While others would say to Mary, what an awful thing that you're pregnant. Elizabeth points to how God is up to something wonderful in her. God is doing this. How blessed you are. And you know, it's only after this encouragement. It's only after this, this affirmation. It's only after this kind of perspective that elizabeth brings that god's behind this that that mary finally experiences joy we know that because of those those verses in the first lines of the magnificat where she says my soul glorifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior she's has she's had this breakthrough of joy in her life why because there was someone there Someone someone alongside her was more experienced, who who shared her life experience, who who came alongside her and said, Mary, it's going to be okay. God's at at work in this. God really will take care of you. And this baby, it sounds like he's going to be somebody. Here's the thing I'd suggest to us folks. In order for us to have joy in our lives, we're going to need to have an Elizabeth in our life. We're going to need to have someone in our lives. We all need someone who comes alongside us when we feel like we're losing our minds or when we feel like running away or when we feel like calling it quits. All those things, when it feels like we're in a dark tunnel and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. We just can't see it. We need someone who comes alongside us just to remind us of some pretty basic things that God has not abandoned you, that, that as we sang earlier, God, if God is for us, who can stand against us? God still loves us. And God can do something on the other side of this. We, we need someone to remind us and to tell us to keep holding on and keep, keep trusting because God has not forsaken us. I know this. I have the privilege of pastoring here for a long time. And, and, and I've been, been with some of you where, where it seemed like you were in that place where it was all dark so dark you couldn't figure it out you didn't think you'd make it and and yet here we stand some of you were talking you know 15 20 years later and you look back and you see how God delivered you in ways you never could have guessed you know how how God used even that painful thing in your life somehow for good somehow for his glory and somehow even for your blessing How today you see his hand where you couldn't see it in the past. I know this happens because it always happens. But when you're walking through the dark tunnel, you don't know that. You have to have someone alongside you and be your Elizabeth so you can find joy. Angel and I normally, we write a Christmas letter. We skipped it this year because we've been too busy. But We normally write a Christmas letter that we send out to family and friends who live far away so we send it all over the world usually christmas letters you think about this i don't know if you it's maybe a a bit of a lost art but they're like our highlight reels of the year aren't they you tell all the good things that are going on you kind of you know you you give the, the the rosy picture um here's here's the here's the thing teenagers and children can do no wrong in a christmas letter So it's not a very accurate portrayal of life. Uh. We edit out of our Christmas letters. We edit out most often out of our Facebook posts or our Instagram posts. We don't show the low lights. We don't show when things are dark. And I wondered this year, I was thinking, what if I didn't edit it out for myself this year? What if I kept in and included in my theoretical Christmas letter some of the, the darkness that I experienced this year? I wonder if I would include a paragraph about about how earlier in the first half of this year, I went through a season of just deep discouragement and self-doubt. One of those seasons where I just felt lost and uh, found my vision kind of gone. I, I couldn't see it. The idea of being a pastor for the next 15 or 20 years seemed like a very long time. If I was sharing that, the, the whole story of my life, I, I probably need to include uh, a struggle I've had in the last year and a half or so of uh, dealing with uh, insomnia. I, I don't know where it's come from, and I don't want your answers after church, please, but <laughs> health tips for Derwin at the door. No, thank you. Um, but for, for about a year, I, I've struggled uh, to, to get a, a, a consistently good night of sleep. And do you know things just seem to be darker in your life when you don't sleep very well, when you don't get a full night's sleep? If I was uh, honest in my letter, I would have to, I'd have to include probably how I had some relation, I don't know what, how to even describe this, but you might call it relational misfortunes. A couple of relationships that got just, just kind of went off the rails and and they're not even right yet. I've, I've been trying to make them right. But, you know, I, I, I have to include that. That's part of my darkness would be some relationships that where I got hurt, I would say, and where I certainly hurt others. There's darkness. There's been darkness in my life this year. But you know what? If I was to, to write all that, I'd also have to include how God helped me get through the darkness. And how did he help me get through me, the, the darkness? Well, I had some people in my life who, who prayed for me and who, who sought to understand, and they listened, and, and, and they showed care, and they prayed, and they did all these things, and, and through them and, and through this journey with others, I found, surprisingly, joy returning to my heart. They gave me hope. You see, this is the, a role that we're called to play for each other when we're walking through dark times. My observation, though, is sometimes when we're in darkness, we tend to gut it out. We tend to think we can do this on our own. And, and for all kinds of reasons, maybe we're just embarrassed. I got a friend who's in the hospital right now. He's kind of a, a, more of an acquaintance, but uh, he's in the hospital and he's so embarrassed about his health condition that he's, he's said no visitors. His best friends aren't allowed to go and visit him in the hospital. And uh, he's not a Christian, so, so maybe he's not acquainted with this, but I, I've met Christians who during dark days, they avoid church. <laughs> they, they slip out of community. They're not part of a, a group. They're not getting the kind of help. They're, they're sort of I can do this on my own. And I'd suggest we can't. <laughs> Sometimes we need people to, to, to speak into our lives that they care about us and that we, we're not going to perish through this. And they need to keep reminding us of, of the truths of Scripture and, and, and that there's hope. Mary was able to say, she got to the place where she was able to say, my soul glorifies the Lord because someone spoke that into her life. This leads me to Paul's letter to the, the Thessalonians. The letter of Thessalonians is is one Paul wrote because people in the church were losing loved ones. They were were, were going through real trials, and so Paul wrote to encourage them. Just just some quick background this morning to the church of Thessalonica, this little church. You can read how it was started by Paul in Acts chapter 17. But, But Paul had come to this little village or town of Thessalonica, which is located on the northern part of the Aegean Sea. And when he arrived, he began preaching the good news of jesus and both some of the jews and some of the gentiles were coming to christ decided to follow jesus and a church was formed but very quickly the people of the community got upset about this this new religion that paul had been teaching and so they began to harass the christians in fact we read in acts that paul actually had to to flee the city by night and the next day they came and arrested jason who was the leader of that little church and they put him in jail and following this, there continued to be this persecution of the church. We, we know that by reading chapter 1, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians, where it says, For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. Yet to these people who, who had been persecuted for their faith, Paul writes, To be joyful always. And I, and I think within this passage, we're about to hear Paul gives us a recipe for how to find joy. So in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, I'll begin It reads, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three things we learn from this passage, and by the way, this is not rocket science, this is just a reminder for for all of us of these truths. The first one is this, kind of a reiteration of the whole Elizabeth theme, but we find joy when we encourage other people. It says, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, Paul says. When when we encourage other people, when when we help other people, we find joy. What happens is when we are actually seeking to help somebody else, what do we do? We take our eyes off ourselves. We might be walking through the tunnel ourselves, but as we begin ministering to others, even in the midst of our own darkness, when I'm, when I'm ministering to somebody else, I'm not thinking about how bad my problems are. I'm not thinking about how difficult my life is or, or how disappointed I am. I'm focused on helping somebody else. And when, I, and when we do that, and when we bless and encourage others, we find that joy is just kind of a natural response to this. Haven't, haven't you found this to be true? I, I think of serving the breakfast this week. I, I didn't tell you, but uh, Thursday morning, I woke up with a headache, and I was feeling stressed and kind of a little bit overwhelmed. And I thought I'd go into the, the school for half an hour and just have a touch point there. And I got there with my dog and with these kids, and I spent the whole morning there, and I couldn't leave. And I left feeling I had a whole new perspective on life, a whole new heart. I saw kids, needy families, and and what a gift to be there with them. I think of my aunt, when I think of this kind of thinking, my my aunt, who had a terrible divorce, told somebody about this before, uh, heartbreak of, of a massive degree, and my aunt, uh, she went to divorce care to get some help, and, and she went through that process. But you know what my aunt says when the breakthrough of, of joy in her life happened? Was when she began to mentor other women who were going through divorce. And as she walked alongside with them, she found that it, it fulfilled her in all kinds of, of ways. And so, you know, I, w- I want to say this. Helping others actually is just simply being obedient to God. We're told in Scripture to to, to help other people, but it's amazing how God can use service in our life to give us a certain perspective on God and a perspective on my life that that brings me joy. And so here at Hillside, we're going to again and again try and mobilize you and encourage you to, in every area of your life, both here in our church community, but also out in the world, become a servant, become a blesser of others. Get out of your bubble. Engage our world. And as you do that, what are you giggling at, my dear wife? She thinks I'm I'm doing, like, nice dance moves. Is that where you're? No, maybe not. She is giggling at me, and I don't know why. And I'm going to be bothered by that for the rest of the morning. (laughs) Actually, unbothered probably is the word. You want joy? Help somebody else. Encourage others, for in encouraging them, you find faith yourself. Point one. Point two, the Apostle Paul says something interesting here. He says, not to seek vengeance. These people had every reason to want to return evil for evil. They had been beaten up. They had been persecuted for their faith, but he says, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. He says, don't return evil for evil, but strive to to practice good towards those, even those that hurt you. Here's the thing I, I know that, that robs us of joy is, is when other people hurt us, when other people say things that hurt our feelings, when other people do things that, that, that is painful, when, it, when they let us down or, or disappoint us, all those things can kind of steal our joy. and says, Paul says, if you focus on those things, that th- those things that hurt you, you will become a bitter person that has no joy. I, I don't need to tell you this. You know this. You know people who have, have been have 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 lived this. You've maybe lived this. I've been like this. And, and where I focused on things that somebody did to me and and I became more irritated, more upset. And joy is not found in vengeance, in bitterness, in holding grudges. Instead, Paul gives us a recipe for actually overcoming this, for getting over it. He says, practice kindness towards the person that harmed you. Some of you need to experiment with this as a spiritual discipline. What would practicing kindness to the people who annoy you or frustrate you or irritate you look like? What would blessing them look like? I'd love for you to consider that question of the people who you interact. Now there's there's times where this might not be appropriate in, in, in certain situations. But in everyday life, I I think this this attitude of blessing even those who wrong us or frustrate us, you return kindness for something that was done to you, and it transforms them, and it changes you. It blesses you. Then finally, in the midst of this, Paul tells us, rejoice always. How do we do that? Well, verse 17 and 18, he says, pray continually. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. Well, why do you do that? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're having a formal prayer time 24 hours a day, but it's, it's learning to live in this constant communion with God. And then as you're doing that, as you're praying, what does he say to do? You give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Does that mean even when you're in trouble? Yes. Does that mean even when you're stressed? Yes. Even when I wake up in the morning and, and the first thing on my brain is, is the issue or the struggle or the difficulty that I'm facing or this loss... Even in those circumstances, we're to give thanks? Yes. Here's the thing. One of the things that I, I think causes us to, to lose joy, one of the things that causes, happens when, when we're in trouble, one of the things is, is, is we get kind of blinders on. And, and, and it, it's that we become blind to God's blessings in our lives. We just can't see the good. Some of you have you've maybe heard of, of Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, she's the COO of, of Facebook. I was able to hear her speak this summer. She's a, kind of a technology powerhouse in, in business. And uh, she's also kind of really pro-raising up women in leadership. But, and when I heard her talk, she, she kind of broke into a, a few moments in her talk where she spoke quite vulnerably of a tragedy that happened to her family a couple of years ago. She and her husband and and two small children were visiting a resort in Mexico. And her husband just kind of went AWOL for a while. She wondered where she was. And they finally, people at the resort came and found her. And he'd been exercising, a very fit guy, healthy guy, and and, in exercise, the gym at the the resort. And he had dropped dead of a heart attack. Uh, Young kids, (laughs) far from home, (laughs) And uh, you just can't imagine we, we, we can't. Many of us can't imagine how devastating that would be. Some of you maybe can imagine that. And she talked about how dealing, how she dealt with her grief in the, the days and the months and the years to come, how, how what she had to do was, with help of, of her own Elizabeth, she's actually a person of faith, she's a, a Jewish person and she practices that faith, but she said she had to disarm the, the three P's First P was personalization. It was my fault. I could have done more. Second one was permanence. This doesn't feel like it's ever going to go away. Third one was pervasiveness. All areas of my life are terrible. Part of her journey of recovery and healing and and walking through her grief was to learn that those three Ps weren't true. Part of it was to consider what she still had. She she remembered, with the help of her counselor, remembered that the worst hadn't happened. She began to think, what would be the worst thing to happen in my life? And she thought about, I still have my kids. I still, I, I, I'm still able-bodied. I, I, I can walk and breathe. I can, I can think. I can participate. She began to, to what we would call in, in Christian terms, count her blessings. Now, I, I, I don't pretend in any way that this is an easy thing to do. But it just does remind us that we can get down a path of darkness where thanksgiving is a reminder to, to, to count what God, to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives, what he has done. And quite honestly, folks, for Christians, we have so much to be thankful for no matter what our circumstances are. You know, we, we're aware that, that, that God is, is, is with us. He's for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. His spirit is in us. I'm never alone because he walks with us no matter what. I'm still breathing. And we can thank God and we can, we can even be thankful that he can take whatever sucky thing that happens in our life, whatever, whatever tragedy or terrible thing, it doesn't matter how bad it is, God can turn that into good. He can redeem it. And that brings me to the conclusion this morning. It's possible to have joy even when life is overwhelming and bad. You may not have happiness, but you can have a a certain kind of joy because joy is not based on our external circumstances. It's based on a a, a certain perspective and and on our faith and on certain practices that we can actually do that can produce joy in us. I'd say in order to find joy, we need an Elizabeth. You know, we, we need people who are, are cheering us on. That's part of the reason why we show up here week after week to church. We, we may have had a, a difficult week, but we need church every week. We need that time where we gather here and we sing, and we remember that there is a God in heaven. And, and, and then when we pray together, we, we remember that God listens to our prayers. And then we, we look around and we remember we are surrounded by Elizabeth's here. And we're cultivating relationships so that we can think of each other as relatives, as cousins in the Lord. We also remember that we're called to be an Elizabeth for somebody. In fact, um, I'd want to send you out today with a sense that you're probably going to bump into all kinds of people this week who need you to be an Elizabeth to them this week. I don't know who they are. I, I, this week I told you about my friend that's in the hospital. I, I didn't know there was that, that trouble and, and, and I found myself kind of in position to, to provide a listening ear and to commit to pray and, and, and bring support. But, but, but somebody in your life is going to need to hear maybe you say things like, you know I care about you, right? You know I'm here for you, right? You know this isn't the end. God's with you. God's for you. You may need to, to, to step into an Elizabeth... Roll this very week. And then we find joy when we encourage others and when they encourage us. We find joy when instead of seeking vengeance, we practice kindness. We turn the other cheek so that we can bless. And we find joy when we pray and we give thanks in all circumstances. So this is my invitation to you this morning. Joy can be found in all places, in the darkest of times. It's not, it's not happiness, it's something different. It's a perspective that, that happens because God walked in human flesh as Jesus who came to save us from our sins and ourselves, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, who said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, who said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I do, one day you'll be with me. I say all of these things, he says, so that your joy may be full. Amen? As the worship team comes up, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Shall we do that? Lord, this morning, we just uh, give you thanks and praise. You're a rock, God. Lord, you're, you're our solid foundation when the, when the rest of the world seems to be Becoming apart, when our world seems to be coming apart, God, when we walk through those dark moments, Lord, we just acknowledge that you are our light at the end of the tunnel. We thank you that when we walk through the valleys that are that are dark and feel dangerous, we need not fear, for you are with us. We thank you, Lord, that you bring people alongside us to to help us and encourage us, to to care for us and love us at those times when we we honestly don't have joy and to remind us of of who we are and whose we are. Help us, we pray, God, to to be those people for others, to be an Elizabeth for someone else this week. We pray you'd help us find ways to to strengthen and encourage the weak. Help us to not focus on, on... on the wrongs that have been done to us, help us instead, but both to forgive, but also to return kindness, even when we've been wronged. Help us, Lord, especially in these busy days, to be in an attitude of prayer all the time, remembering that you are near, that you're with us. There's not a moment where you're not at our side. And, Lord, Give us thankful hearts so that we might give thanks in all circumstances. Fill us with your joy today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.